Welcome to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered with Perry Clark. This program looks at mental health from unique perspectives and shows you how to manage your life by finding the knots that help you and stay away from the ones that could be a disadvantage. Now, here is your host, Perry Clark. Welcome back, everyone, to Untangling Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Today, we get to have one of my first, which is a recording with two very lovely and very brilliant uh, people in the mental health field. So I want to start out with the disclaimer of that this is not a substitute for a therapeutic relationship. I strongly recommend that you seek a therapist that is in your area that can speak about your unique situations. So that being said, let's go ahead and get into our topic today, which I have these lovely, brilliant people here to talk about uh, with. Now, if you've listened to the recording before this, then you'd have heard about one of my uh, interviewees, Booney. But today we have Lauren Carson as well. Lorraine Garrison. Sorry, Lorraine Garrison. It's my dyslexia kicking in again. That's all (laughs) right. Trying to get the names and get the uh, audio. I do better with audio than I do with uh, reading names. So Lorraine Garrison. (laughs) So Booney is a a therapist who has been trained in by the... No, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm just blowing it all today. <laughs> oh, okay. So, Booney is trained at the uh, Chicago School of Professional Psychology. What about for you, Lorraine? Lorraine. Lorraine. <laughs> <laughs> Just remember me like Quiche Lorraine or ah. Sweet Sweet Lorraine. Do you like jazz? Because like Sweet Lorraine is one of my favorite jazz songs. So gotcha. anyways, but I so do enjoy how, eating quiche. So. so there you go. Right. Yeah. Um, you'll so, remember me that way. Yeah. So why don't you go, uh, give us a little of your backstory and how you found yourself here and being interviewed <laughs> as I keep making these screw ups. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. It's all right. You know, we're not perfect. That's why we go into therapy, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> So my name is Lorraine Garrison. I am from the island of Guam. Um, I am a school psychologist here in San Diego. I work in a school district. I primarily work in the high school area right now. I am also an author on social emotional learning books that you can find on Amazon. Um, Brain Boy and Bob go on different adventures. Um, My favorite one right now is Brain Boy and Bob have uh, first day of school jitters. So once again, you can look me up. My first name is spelled kind of funny based on my background. I was raised by an African-American father and a Vietnamese mother, but ethnically I am half Filipino and half Vietnamese that, like I said, grew up on an island. So I have a mixture background of cultural ethnicities in my family. Uh, Once again, my name is spelled L-O-R-R-A-N, but it's pronounced Lorraine, or if you are French, you could say Lorraine, how it's spelled, and the last name is Garrison. Gotcha. So you two work together often because uh, I've seen on your informational page that you've given both uh, conferences and so many times. So I'm just going to let you guys go here. <laughs> so I know we were just in our in our previous recording, Booney uh, and I were talking much more about neurodiversity and uh, gaming and the API identity. So I'm wondering what's your take on it, man? 
please bounce off of each other. Let me be a fly on the wall. Oh, you're welcome to have this conversation. So we just recently spoke at the California Association of School Psychologists here in Southern California. And what we were talking about, we were talking about how to be better allies, how to mm-hmm. have better allyship. And we were really focusing around the BIPOC experience and why are we pulling out black? Why are we pulling out indigenous from the people of color um, experience? And as you've noticed in the last couple of days, I would just say like last week, there was a teacher, a math teacher at UC Riverside who was doing this crazy Oh my God. I mean, like, okay, so this is recording in October. So this happened Mm -hmm. October 23rd ish. Okay. So this teacher is doing a tomahawk dance and she's trying to get her students to know some sort of formula for math. I think it's um, some sort of um, cosine sign, something I can't remember. And, and you know, it, it was, it, and so other people were writing on social media. It's, it's um, the trigonometry to remember co uh, something Sakatoa, right? So, but she went around and she was pretending she was like worshiping some rock God and bumping her toe. And um, so a native American person who has a native American name, first name, last name recorded this because they felt like they were going to be violated of their from their culture. And so um, those are the last conversations I've been having like the last couple of days, the last couple of weeks about colonialism and about how as therapists of people of color, as therapists, we need to take back all the things that were taken away from us, like meditation, yoga. I mean, all of these things, um, you know, peyote i mean like like you know native american spiritual retreats of the sweat lodge and things like that so that's that has been on my mind recently about how um you know there are these barriers to get the education to get the phd the cites whatever mental health therapists that western culture but then you know our, our cultures are being used for um, like I said, you know, the, the alternative medicines and things like that. So that's been on my mind. Booney, I know you have a lot to say about this. <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to say my piece a little bit. Please do, please do. <laughs> so um, I come from a background of energy healing. My grandfather was an honorary monk and spiritual leader for our family and our temple. He led prayer with the monks. And so I thought it was freaking cool every time we would go to temple instead of the monks leading prayer or chanting, they'd get him to lead. And that was such an honor. It was such like a cool um, relationship I have to spirituality as well. Like, damn, that's so freaking awesome. My, my grandpa's the one doing it. Out of all the people here, he's the one. And so I think that, you know, the belief and the embodying of spiritual energy healing I've inherited as well, and I believe in it so much, and yet I've had this inability to reclaim the practice because I feel that layer of imposter syndrome and anger because it keeps on becoming colonized and robbed from whoever has claimed it part of their culture. And I will reframe it or explain further where, let's say um, in the 70s or 60s, there was this movement towards mindfulness and meditation, but before that happened, Uh, Western 
practitioners made fun of us for meditating. They called us savages or primal. And they said, this is not nearly a, a good way of healing. Um, no way is it a, a legit way of healing. They're like, so we're being um, dehumanized for our practices when white people go to India for some uh, spiritual awakening they will come back learning yoga for free or they'll go to a temple, study Buddhism, become a monk for like a week or something, and they feel so much better. They're transcendent. And so you're taking all this labored history from people of color, all these spiritual ancestral healing practices from other cultures, and now it's become commodified and whitewashed. So you see all these people doing yoga something yoga, X yoga, beer yoga, donkey yoga, you know, cat yoga, whatever you call it. And it's becoming um, stripped of its meaning. It's becoming very like a gimmick and people have robbed the, the, the sanctity of so much that even though it's being taken now into somatic experiencing practices, I feel I know personally there's some work I have to do, but like this is my initial long-term reaction to embodying yoga or any type of meditative practice that has originally been part of my culture, even though Western medicine finally has numbers and uh, empirical evidence to say that it works. But before that, you're gonna you're gonna dismiss and minimize a whole community of people because it, there's no numbers yet. But we've been doing it for generations, like thousands of years. So that's my take on it. Thank you, Booney. Sure. I mean, like, that's powerful. I mean, you know, and that's exactly what we were talking about with the school psychologist, right? So we were talking mm. about implicit and explicit bias. What's the difference? What's microaggression? And so mm. people don't notice that this is um, part of their microaggressions, mm -hmm. right? So, so <clears throat> you, you, so, you know, explicit bias, that's like easy. Explicit bias is like, you know, you got your racist uncle who says the N word and, you know, you got to call him out during dinner because, you know, that's not right. Right. So that's, that's difficult. We understand that. I get that, you know, to confront racism on its head, you know, that's difficult. I get it. And we, and everyone knows that we need to be allies. We need to be stronger than that. We need to call out people. But now what we're asking, we're asking to dig deeper. We're asking to dig deeper and do some self-reflection and look at that implicit bias, right? So full disclosure here, my husband's white, right? And so, you know, there's oftentimes I have to call out his privilege and I have to tell him like, look, honey, you know, you're doing some extra labor here that some folks don't want. And I'll give an example. We were um, at a public, hot tub, you know, in our community yesterday. And, you know, um, you know, a couple of people joined us, you know, and one young black man came and joined us and we had a great conversation. And um, poor Justin wanted to bond, but he was awkward and didn't know how to do it. And so he started talking about all the work that he did. And I was like, you know, and I started to like nudge him because he started talking about like, like, you know, he started to center himself. And what we mean by centering is making this movement about him. So we worked on a project last summer about the uh, women's suffrage movement and um, 
as we were working on it with his students, because my husband's a drama teacher, um, we found out that there was a huge fraction in um, the women's suffrage movement. Half of them were racist and the other half weren't, right? So he started talking about that and he started centering himself. And I was like, oh, this, this young black man probably didn't want to hear about it. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so, you know, I was like, so, you know, he got the hint, he saw me like get a little nervous and he understood like, you know, like, like the, you know, you might want to bond with the person right now, but he might not want to bond with you. So we're all learning. We're all mm-hmm. learning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but we have to like talk about these things and like, like, uh, and be like aware of it. Like we mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. have that self reflection. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we're going to be constantly taking from each other all the mm-hmm. time. Do you know what well, I mean? Oh, yeah. And in many ways, I would also draw the parallel as you talk about the explicit and implicit bias, it's much like what we're already dealing here with the aspect of physical health versus mental health mm-hmm. is that physical health can be very explicit. Yes. Mental health is implicit. Mm, mental health yeah. is invisible. In many cases can be invisible. Right. So much of what we, what do we practice in the present cons- constructs of therapy is based off the idea so much of gratitude, biological medicine, which grew out of the standpoint of if we see it bleeding, we know that there's something mm-hmm. going on there versus like when was saying during her recording is that if this kid is having a tantrum in the middle of the classroom, this is a physical representation with something that's going on mentally at home. This is your bleeding wound, mm-hmm. not just the fact that it's actually a gusher or that you need to put a bandage on it. It's the implicit bias. Yes, it is the implicit bias. And that's that. And that's what we were talking about, too. And I will continuously talk about this is that to be a better by to be a better ally, you have to look at that implicit bias. You Mm. have to do that self-reflection. And it's hard. Mm. Not a lot of people can do that or willing to look at that. We're not saying that all white people are bad people and that they're terrible, you know, their ancestors are terrible and et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. We're just asking folks like, if you know better, then let's just try and do better. That's all. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. all. We make mistakes. You know, Mm -hmm. we're human. Like, you know, I can say some dumb things like, you know, like I, I realized for myself that I might have some implicit bias myself, you know, especially with people who are larger than me, you know, like I, I've always been tiny, you know, and I just, you know, and I growing up in a culture of, of, of in a Vietnamese culture, the way they tell you that they care about you is, have you eaten yet? Right. Mm-hmm. So food is a very big thing in the Vietnamese culture. They don't say I love you. They don't, you know, they're not very big on that, but they'll say, have you eaten yet? Are you well? That's how they mm-hmm. say, how, how, how are you? But then there's the stigma, stig- being the, having the stigma of being fat, Right. So mm-hmm. you've got the mixture of the Western culture of you have to be thin and then, but you also have this old Confucius um, energy from culturally, like if you were fat, then that meant you were wealthy. So there's mm-hmm. that duality that we have as well at, you know, in this, at least, you know, I can speak for Vietnamese American culture that we have that duality. But mm-hmm. like I said, if we know better, 
we just we just have to do better mm. like l- looking in ourselves and what how do we feel about that and are we looking at that other person in front of us as a human being or do we see a stereotype mm-hmm. and it's very similar in the african-american uh, black culture as well what about free boning um so i wanted to take a note on like the part about the external and the internal which in terms of mm-hmm. mental health i think that's very different in terms of shame and the Asian culture too, right? Collectivist mm-hmm. culture, because we were taught to not speak out on it. Emotional pain is a sign of weakness. It looks shameful um, for your in- en- entire ancestral line. Your lineage will be shamed if you have mental health concerns. So you guys kind of have to suck it up and, and push through. That's a sign of uh, being strong. And so uh, a huge thing that I've seen in terms of my own family system um, as well as other uh, other Asians in the groups that I'm in, is like we somaticize a lot. Mm-hmm. So we're allowed to talk about physical pain. So it's again, it goes back to chakra work. It's a physical manifestation of your mental wellness. Like heartbreak could literally hurt hurt your chest. You know, having an ability to speak your truth could really have an inability to speak. You know, um, of course, it's not correlation or causation, and yet there's certain nuances of when our emotional spiritual well-being is attacked or in pain that we need to check in with our bodies and so there's this layer of how the explicit again is a sign of the implicit of what's going on inside of us and i think that um if we could reframe it for your asian clients collectivist clients who are not comfortable with talking about how i feel again because this is actually i was mentored by a psychologist when i started in my program and she taught me something very powerful because when i spoke to her i kept on saying sentences like we don't we don't do this we do this i kept on referencing myself as a collective i didn't have a voice i didn't have an identity to speak in terms of i it was so hard and she kept on checking me so there was this clash of collectivist individualist language and identity that i didn't understand that was a very reflexive thing to do and i was like oh I guess I really do attach myself to a collective to the point where I talk about we, where I don't have an identity yet. So part of my growth in hybridity is understanding who I am and practicing speaking my truth. And that's a very difficult thing for depending how um, acculturated you are. Mm -hmm. I think that's a brilliant place for us to take a moment and pause. And we'll be back with Booney and Lorraine. Yes. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> I'll, I'll get it. It just takes me a lot of bunch of reputations. Uh, as we appear on Untying Knots and Minds and Souls Untethered. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Our lives and the world around us can get messy and frustrating. Untangle and Grow Counseling's focus is to untangle that mess and make sense of it so you have a good foundation to build and grow from. Visit us on the web at untangleandgrowcounseling.com. Perry Clark offers individual psychotherapy, couples and family therapy, and adolescence therapy from a variety of coping materials and resources. Visit untangleandgrowcounseling.com for more information. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are listening to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. If you have a question or comment about our podcast, send an email to pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. That's pclark at untyingknotspodcast.com. And now, back to the program. Welcome back, everyone, to Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. We're here talking with Booney and Lorraine, uh, who are these very brilliant and smart and intelligent women of API uh, ancestry, which I honor and thank for being here. And who are also, both of the, all three of us are members of the Geek of Therapy group on uh, Facebook. So one of the things that we were just sort of over talking about, which we'd spoken briefly in Boonies, but also we get to have Lorraine's uh, input on is code switching and masking. Now, for those who aren't familiar, code switching is the aspect of we change either the way we speak, or our physical posture, or our indications, depending on who's around us. Equally, the masking is that aspect of we change the way we behave or what we might hold back, depending on who's around us. So, where would you guys like to start there? Oh, my gosh. Yes. So, um I, okay, so let's talk about code switching because people are more familiar with code switching, okay? Mm-hmm. So, and we're not talking about the NPR program. <laughs> no, we're not. But, you know, that's a really good program, too. I oh, I know. I listen to it, too. Yeah. Okay, so code switching, I often had to do this as a kid growing up because, one, I grew up on an island, so I grew up mm-hmm. on Guam. Two, I grew up in a black Vietnamese household. And, but, you know, ethnically, I'm also Filipino. So, mm-hmm. so, um, and then as, as I got older, I learned Spanish because, you know, Spanish is just the mm-hmm. most widely used language after English, right? Here in the United mm-hmm. States. Mm-hmm. So code switching for me, like going from my black family to my Vietnamese family, I always had to make sure that I was doing things correctly and making sure that I was honoring my Vietnamese side when I was at my Vietnamese family, like making sure like my elders ate first, making sure Mm -hmm. I took off my shoes, you know, those kind of things, as opposed to my black family's house where everyone's loud and, you know, everyone can do anything and you just like kind of jump in. Right. So Mm -hmm. culturally, you know, I had to code switch. So um, on that aspect, but masking. So I hit, I had two, um, two kinds of categories. So not only ethnically am I, you know, mixed, but I feel I belong also in the neurodivergent, neurodiverse community where, um, you know, I might be having an anxiety attack and melting down about something, but then I still have to present either at a panel or in front of parents during an IEP meeting. So I have to mask that who I am, or, you know, I have to, I have to mask and pretend that I'm somebody else. If I'm, you know, sleeping in, I don't know, crunchy sheets <laughs> or something, you know, something okay, like that. Okay. Okay. <laughs> crunchy sheets. Mm-hmm. Well, the sensory element, which is the thing. <laughs> which is the thing yeah. Well, Can you not? <laughs> but the, the, and that's one of the realities dealing with neurodiversity is there's a sensory component. <laughs> I could not sleep until three in the morning because of freaking crunchy sheets. <laughs> She's making fun of me. I'm not making fun of you. 
I had I had issues with crunchy sheets too. <laughs> the light would stop going on. I was like, the universe has an agenda against me tonight. <laughs> we shared a hotel room when we went to when we went to the California Association of School Psychologists, mm-hmm. and so our sensory was overloaded. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're having the sensory with the sheets which shows up yeah. in, for people's clothing, yes. which is why you'll find that for some people who are either on, on the spectrum or dealing with there's certain clothing type that you will always see them in because it is not irritating them. Or Correct. classically, uh, food. We often talk about whether it's the five senses of bittersweet, uh, tangy, and umami, um, but also not forgetting there's a texture. There is... Till this day, I have a trouble drinking, say, like chocolate milk because I could always sense this graininess mm. in the chocolate milk. Mm-hmm. So I always avoided having chocolate milk. It was very hard for me to have, say, ice cream that was mm. chocolate because I could always sense this just this grittiness. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And so, and so that's in that standpoint of difficulty with food. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we add that not only in the school environment, then we add it into the cultural environment. Why mm-hmm. don't you particularly like this thing that has been cooked in our family for centuries, but you've got a problem with it? Mm-hmm. Why are you so special? You know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I get that. No one's allowed to be special. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, you know, that goes very much into what you're, what you're saying about the collective culture. To be special means you're not part of the collective. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So anyways, code switching and masking, mm-hmm. they almost go hand in hand because mm-hmm. like, you know, being a person of a color, being an Asian person of color, I've been welcomed into spaces where black people, even though Folks don't know my background that, you know, Mm -hmm. I was raised by a black father in a black family. People don't know my background, but because of my Asian privilege, Mm -hmm. I have been privy to some, you know, folks what they say, you know, Mm -hmm. and so like, like I have to mask. Right. So, you know, I have to pretend that that like to protect myself, I have Mm -hmm. to pretend that, no, I'm not I'm not black. I don't come from a black family. I have to pretend that, you know, accept me for who you are, because, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like what you're saying is not right. And so then then they'll turn an attack on me. So sometimes, you know, as a person of color, you have to mask in order to to protect yourself. Same thing if you are neurodiverse. Um, I'll give an example. I think it was two or three years ago there was an, an autistic man who got shot, his caregivers and himself got shot and killed at Costco because he wasn't able to communicate that all he wanted was a sample. But he, mm. and so he, he, he pushed an off-duty cop who was carrying his like four-year-old daughter in his arms or something like that. And the, and the, and the off-duty cop felt threatened and shot this, this autistic nonverbal man. So that's the other thing I like to talk about is that, you know, as a person of color, as a person who's neurodiverse, sometimes masking is important in order to be safe because the world does not know who we are as human beings just quite yet. We're Mm -hmm. not there yet. Mm -hmm. So, you know, unfortunately, we kind of have to blend in. We have to like 
like walk the walk and talk the talk in order to be safe. Very true. Mm -hmm. And that's an exhausting place to be. And just imagine how, the amount of energy that takes up, which then also means certain social cues aren't going to be noticed because guess what? That energy is gone trying to just keep ourselves safe. And, and that's yeah. the argument with autism in black. Um, mm -hmm. The creator, she is a proponent of ABA and in the autistic community, most people are against it. And so she keeps on having to prove the argument of, well, for your black autistic people, we don't have the luxury of having a service or support that humanizes us just yet. Mm -hmm. We are seen as a threat just when we're born. Um, mm -hmm. Our babies are perceived as threats way before they can even like really walk. So mm -hmm. yeah, we have to mask a little bit more, which is mm -hmm. such a pain to utter. I can't, it's hard to talk about. So like, again, there's this layer of who we allow to reclaim their identity and become fully human and others who have to keep on waiting in between this realm of like dehumanizing myself to fit in, mm -hmm. minimizing my voice because of safety reasons and just like, it's so sad. Mm -hmm. yeah. And as we said during your part, your recording is the face of autism is white. Mm -hmm. I know as when I, and I have worked in the past as a, uh, uh, a tech aide for dealing with autistic kids as well. And one of the consistent things I kept seeing as I was looking at this is as I'm working on getting my, my master's degree in psychology is that, it's great that we're teaching them how to use their words to speak and get what they need, mm -hmm. but we also need to teach them how to deal with people who are going to be assholes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's those moments when those people, for whatever reasons within themselves, push that barrier is when they react. And then we have, sadly, moments like what you just said happen at Costco. Now, not that that was one where someone was purposely being a jerk. But that sense of we teach them to use their words and get response. But what's the plan, the plan B when the words aren't working? And that actually makes me think of like, I will just blanket all of us. We're mm -hmm. vulnerable populations. Mm -hmm. People think that we are the threat to society. Mm -hmm. We're the threat to other safety. We are the ones who are vulnerable. We are the ones who are oppressed. We are the ones who are taken advantage of and don't have the power to do what other people do so freely. So we are vulnerable. We're the mm -hmm. ones who live with the threat of harm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes me think of Elijah McLean in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Very you much know, so. Very much so. He, you know, he was non-threatening. His last words were non-threatening, mm -hmm. but because he was black and neurodiverse, neurodivergent, mm -hmm. um, you know, he, he suffered and, mm -hmm. and, and it, you know, I, I think about him all the time. Every time I come up and I talk, you know, I'm talking for him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's also, um, cause it says you're saying that the thought that popped in my head, uh, referencing one of the other franchises that I often follow Stargate SG one, <laughs> one of the particular episodes, um, I think it was like season three or four. They end up going to one of the worlds that built the Stargate. And they, it's, they have this very, very natural, it seems like they're living 
They're a childlike race. It turns out they're far older than everybody else, and they can manipulate the stargates with just a click of the finger. But they say one of their goals as representing the humans is that we protect those that are weaker than us. Mm-hmm. And yet, in this case, like what you just said with Elijah, the complete opposite of that. Mm-hmm. There are so many things here where we're not protecting the most vulnerable of us. And I'm going to bring in, you know, religious moments here about that. You know, we mm-hmm. have we have lots of folks who claim to be Christian, claim to, you know, hold the word of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're not protecting the weakest. And mm-hmm. so that's what I'm asking folks to do. As I said in the last half of our, in our previous half of our segment, if we know mm-hmm. better, we need to do better. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's part of that, you know, looking at our implicit bias, right? And bringing back to that implicit bias. Look and do that self-reflection. Um, care for each other. Care for mm-hmm. yourself. Care for each other. And if we can't do that, then, then honestly, we, how, do, how can we call, call ourselves human? Mm-hmm. Honestly, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, what makes us any different than, you know, being the rats scurrying around in, you know, New York subway sewers. Or Mr. What uh, Agent Smith said in the first Matrix movie, humans are viruses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're coming of an age and a time of, um, you know, of, of look, of, of, we are evolving as a society, as a world. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, there's going to be folks that are going to be left behind and don't want to teach about critical race theory or, you know, are ashamed that they might have been that grandparent who, you know, yelled at Ruby Ridges. I mean, Ruby Ridges, you know, the first mm-hmm. little, little girl that integrated in who had to be who had to be protected by these big white men to go into, you know, the desegregated classrooms. I mean, she's only 60 years old. It's 2021. Mm-hmm. She's only 60 years old. It wasn't that, that too long ago. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that too long ago. So when people tell me, you know, oh, you know, why are you harping on the past about, about racism and blah, 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 you know, g- colored only was only mm-hmm. in the 1960s, you know, loving, loving versus, versus Virginia you know, mm-hmm. or black and white folks. And, um, you know, those were illegal marriage that ended in 1968. Mm-hmm. Last it person, hasn't been a hundred years. It hasn't yeah. been a hundred years. You know, the last person who got lynched was in the eighties, you know, well, like that we publicly know that we publicly know. Exactly. I mean, look at Ahmad Aubrey. I'm saying his mm-hmm. name wrong. I'm so sorry. Ahmad Aubrey. Ahmad Aubrey. Thank you. You know, I mean, look at, look at that. I mean, like, mm-hmm. You know, people wonder why why the black culture is afraid of of dogs and afraid of all of these things. So I could tell you, you know, like like I could tell you that that they were experimented on. I mean, the gynecologist who who did C sections and things like that experimented all on on slaves. I mean, oh, so what? Uh, am I born with critical race theory? No, I mean. I had to learn this. I had to, I had mm-hmm. to go and pick up the books and I had to read about it. I had to learn mm-hmm. about the Vietnam War, not because I'm half Vietnamese and I was inherently born with it. I had to learn about it in college. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> well, I think that you illustrate what we have to do for one another. We have our own layers of being our own allies, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's people have this perception that we're pitted against each other because when I think about it, I remember, you know, the LA riots. I remember mm. that tension. Which ones? <laughs> He's too young for what? So, you know. <laughs> right, but that was in LA. So it's like, yeah, which one are we talking about? Right. The tension between the Korean community and the African American mm-hmm. community, right? So that's a reference point and we have to heal from that. You know, we were pit, we were pit against each other because mm-hmm. we were faced with uh, shaping an ideal East Asian mm-hmm. um, model minority identity. And yet I come from the Thai culture where we're freaking poor mm-hmm. and we're kind of chunked in together with 2 billion Asians, which doesn't even make sense. And yet mm-hmm. the demographic and certain cultural nuances get paired on kind of bloom on top of us, which mm-hmm. gets pitted against systemic intergenerational harm that has been done to African-American people. Like, but then people use that to promote what we call the American dream. Right. And so mm-hmm. because of that knowledge, like Lorraine said, we have to do the work, we have to do the research, we have to be allies for each other because those stereotypes have been used for us to promote someone else's agenda. We've been mm-hmm. used for way too long. And it's for up to us to figure that out and speak up against it and really do the effort to change, you know, mm-hmm. individually. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, much so. There's no such thing as, as a model minority. I mean, that was an old, outdated um, word that was used in a news article in 1968 trying to pit, you know, Asian Americans against the black culture. I mean, and that's, that's a load of crap. Like, you know, um, I'm not that good at math. Don't ask me to do, don't ask me to do your math homework. No, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, we've, we've got to support each other. Like, like it's, it's, and it's intentional. It's us versus them, right? That's the intent. Mm-hmm. So, so when did I mean? And it's it's sim- parallel to historical um, cultural nuances. Like, when did Jewish people become white? Mm-hmm. When did the Italians become white? When mm-hmm. did the Irish people co- become white? You mm-hmm. know, it was during the Jim Crow laws. So, and so that's what it has been. And, you know, so now, now that we have the education, now we know it now, now that the, the wizard of Oz has been revealed, Mm -hmm. (laughs) the man behind the curtain, right? Mm -hmm. Now that we know that it's like, why, why do, you know, why, why, why follow that? Why not support each other? And, Mm -hmm. and and as Mary Church Tyrell said, a a woman, a black woman suffrage, you know, we lift as we rise. That's what we Mm -hmm. need to do. We lift Mm -hmm. each other you know, as we rise, we, mm-hmm. we break that glass ceiling and mm-hmm. we bring the people with us, you know, so there's no need for the fighting amongst, you know, people mm-hmm. of color. Mm-hmm. I mean, we see it within ourselves. It's true. Like even like we try to, even in, in Asian cultures, we have all these whitening creams, but that's, that's like the history of colonialism, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have uh, one of those YouTubers who wants to look like one of our BTS guys, <laughs> You know, not all Koreans look like, you know, the folks, the, the, our favorite boy brand, BTS. <laughs> or... v, I love you, V. If you're listening, I love you. I love you. All right, my guy. <laughs> well, and if they're not doing that, they're uh, trying to uh, be the characters on the Squid Game. <laughs> That's the only representation that we have, basically. <laughs> right, right. Uh, yeah. 
so actually, so what you mentioned was like, since we have this proximity to whiteness and the model minority myth is so immersed into the culture, we can use that to our benefit to speak up because somehow when we say it is not as uh, uh, dangerous or threatening. So we can mm-hmm. use that message to really change the system. And mm-hmm. I, I, I value and accept that responsibility because again, we, we live in this world together. We're not separate. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to use my privilege. I'm happy to use my privilege to support the Black community, the Indigenous community, all the missing women, all the missing Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. I will, I'm happy to use my, my privilege, absolutely. Well, with that note, it's time for us to be wrapping up. And we're definitely going to be having, yeah, well, <laughs> this way. we're definitely going to be doing uh, a, a recording with you, Lauren, so that we <laughs> definitely can have more of a conversation of this and to have maybe another part two with all of us, three of us together. Yeah. Um, but for right now, where can they find you if they wanted to check in with you and find your book? Ah, you can find my book on Amazon, Little Brain Boy and the Very Hungry Maggot was our first mm-hmm. one. And uh, once again, my name is spelled L-O-R-R-A-N. Last name is Garrison. Or you can go on www.littlebrainstorm.com. What about for you, Boney? Um, you can find me at organizedmesses.com or on YouTube and Instagram. My handles are, again, Organized Messes. All righty. So this has been Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. And tune in again for one of our next ones. And we're going to have a continued lively conversation and Deal with being our imperfect selves. Authentic imperfect selves. That's yes. it. <laughs> so you guys have fun today. Oh, yes. Bye. Thank you for tuning in for Untying Knots, Minds and Souls Untethered. Be sure to join your host, Perry Clark, for another episode on the podcast coming soon on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 